interesting. Um, but fundamentally, these chapters tell us something about God. And I think maybe that's the bigger picture we can take home. Um, that these chapters are show us what God cares about. Um, because there are three chapters in the Old Testament as God is talking to His people dedicated to how to handle this situation. Um, it's interesting, though. We have all this... All these directions on this is what you should do. We don't have any record of this ever being used or misused. Or it's it's really God's like it's important that you have these and no no other record of them being used. Which I don't know. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a bad thing. Um. So before we begin, let's just go on and read all nine verses. It's a short chapter. So we're all on the same page. Um, The other two chapters that a lot of the information comes from is Deuteronomy 19 and Numbers 35. Um, So as we kind of work through Joshua 20, I'm going to try to bring in some things in Deuteronomy 19 and Numbers 35 that kind of maybe is a little bit more information that those chapters give us, um, just so we can kind of keep it all in one spot instead of having to read all three chapters. But Joshua 20... One through nine. Is there someone that wouldn't mind reading that? Go for it, sir. Then the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, To the sons of Israel, saying, Designate the cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who kills any person unintentionally, without premeditation, may flee there, and they shall become your refuge from the avenger of blood. He shall flee to one of these cities and shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and state his case in the hearing of the elders of that city. And they shall take him into the city to them and give him a place so that he may dwell among them. Now if the avenger of blood pursues him, then they shall not deliver the manslayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor without premeditation and did not hate him beforehand. He shall dwell in that city until he stands before the congregation for judgment until the death of the one who is high priest in those days. Then the manslayer shall return to his own city and to his own house, to the city from which he fled. So they set apart Kadesh in Galilee in the hill country of Naphtali, and Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah. Beyond the Jordan, east of Jericho, they designated Bezer in the wilderness on the plain from the tribe of Reuben, and Ramoth in Gilead from the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. These were the appointed cities for all the sons of Israel and for the stranger who sojourns among them, that whoever kills any person unintentionally may flee there and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood until he stands before the congregation. So really, this is a fundamental concept that God has been telling his people about. We see this beginning in Genesis 9, when he tells Noah, right after Noah comes off the ark, he says, if life is taken, if blood is shed, I'm going to require that. And specifically, he says, verse 6 of Genesis 9, whoever sheds man's blood by his blood, By man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God he made a man. So this is a fundamental concept. God created life, and he does not appreciate it when people take that life. 
However, God also realizes that sometimes there's going to be lives taken with no intent. And that's a fundamental thing Moses and God and Joshua are going to make a point of saying here. This is only for a specific purpose. This is if you kill someone unintentionally. This is not murder. This is unintentional killing. Um, And we'll talk a little bit more about that. So in Deuteronomy 4, right after they had defeated Sihon and Nog, on the east side of the Jordan, they already create the three cities, Bezer, Ramoth, Gilead, and Golan, or however you say those, on the east side. And then in Deuteronomy 4, God told them, when you inherit the west side, you're going to also get yourself three cities. And so, let's just kind of walk through the process of this. So as Moses is detailing instructions, what's kind of the first step in this process? When will this city of refuge be applicable? I kill someone unintentionally. Okay. Well, maybe even before that, a man is killed. Okay. Because, yes, God says... It's if you do it unintentionally. But he also tells them, you're going to have to state your case to the elders at the gate. And it's possible that if there's enough evidence, you're going to have to stand before the congregation in judgment. So it's also possible that you come with ulterior motives. That maybe you did it purposely. You're going to flee to the city to try to get refuge. But God's like, you're going to have to test them. Just because you go there does not mean you're going to be free of questions and everyone's going to be like, oh, welcome in. No, it was going to be God's, God says, take this seriously. So a man is killed. And who was this man running from? The Avenger. What was the purpose of the Avenger and who was the Avenger? It was a family member, right? Right. A close relative that could stand up for the rights of the person who had been killed. Um, And it's kind of interesting. God doesn't say otherwise. Apparently, God says, you know what? Genesis 9-6, if you shed man's blood, it is right that the avenger can kill you. Even if it's accidental. Because he's going to mention other. And I believe it's, it's either in Deuteronomy or Numbers. Essentially, we're going to space these cities so that you can get there quickly. Because if you don't get there and the Avenger of Blood finds you before you get there, he can kill you and God is not going to hold that against him. Again, this, God takes this seriously. And just be, be thinking about that as we work through this, about how, God, how seriously God is taking this. But also we see in this that God's trying to protect someone that does this accidentally. So this is also a, take it seriously, you're going to be judged if you don't. But also, accidents happen. And one of the commentaries wrote that it is quite possible to do unjust things in the name of justice. It was against such a possibility that these cities were provided. So in the event it was an accident this city would give someone the opportunity to live if it was accidental. So a man is killed. And what is the... I don't, I, I don't know exactly how to 
talk about the guy that killed the person. Because I think we all understand, I mean, our legal system has different levels of killing. Manslaughter, murder, involuntary, voluntary. So I don't exactly know how to, so I don't want to put it in one of those boxes. So we're just going to say manslayer, and that's just going to describe a person that kills somebody. Universally, we're not going to talk about the motive, the intent yet. That will work itself out in the text. So the manslayer kills somebody, and what is he then going to do? The manslayer then runs. Literally. And a couple of things that kind of indicate this. In Deuteronomy 19, in verse 3, it's around 2 or 3, God tells them, you, you're going to prepare roads for this. Make roads to these cities so that it is easy to get to. This manslayer would have to run. And also in Deuteronomy 19, around verse 5, it mentions, um, so he tells them if the axe handle slips from his hand, lest the avenger of blood, while his anger is hot, pursue the manslayer and overtake him because the way is long. And kill him, though he was not deserving of death, since he had not hated the victim in time past. So that's God just saying, look, this needs to be an easy, easy pathway, easy road, just in case he cannot get there in time. It seems like this guy is not going to stick around and see if he's going to get, if some of these kills going to get better. It, it, it was not the time to go check on your buddy. <laughs> Um, like if it like, and that sounds kind of bad, but that's a little bit how it's written, right? Yes. If the guy's bleeding out, do you take time to do CPR or take care of him, or do you take off running? And it appears that God's left that a little bit open. Like, look, you got to balance these things. The life of your buddy. Also, if the Avenger of Blood comes and this guy dies and he thinks you did it purposely, he can run you down. Yes. But it, it also seems like they were very revengeful. I mean, we don't do that. You know, and we know we have the law. We can't do that. But, but most people wouldn't think, oh, man, I'm going to revenge and kill him. In a sense, how many of us want wrongs justified, right? We have an inherent desire. When we see a wrong, to want to justify it. And sometimes that gets blown away out of proportion. Um, and maybe that's why we see things like God saying, hey, vengeance is mine. I will repay. Because it is easy to say, hey, this wrong means righted. And God's saying, you've got to be careful with that. You can do the right thing in the wrong way. But yeah, it is, it is interesting. Because also if you keep reading um, in, it's actually in Exodus, when God's giving them the law, right after he gives them the law, there's this concept of lex talionis, right? An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Basically, what you do will be done to you. So there's a sense in which killing the person would be the natural response of the legal law, right? Lex talionis. If you kill someone, then you could be killed. According to God's law, that was the... That was, you could also make that argument. Yes? I was just thinking, we just sue nowadays. <laughs> oh, right, right. You hit me, I'm going to sue you. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, because we have a sense of law, right? And there's people that take care of that law. But it, but it is kind of interesting. And the very fact that God spells this out for them, like, hey, here's how you work through this. Because in the heat of the moment, what's the natural tendency? Anger, revenge. I mean, somebody punches me, my first response is most likely going to be to punch them back. Right, anger. The attitude of anger. And how well do we normally do when we're angry? How logically do we, like, how logically do we think? So God's like, here's the logical process through this. So the man is killed, and the manslayer reports or flees to the city. What's the next step in this process? He comes to the gate and talks to the elders. Okay. The elders meet him at the gate and discuss his situations. What would be the purpose of this? They don't want to protect the guilty man. And we see that. We'll see that a bit later. But there was this ancient or Near Eastern law of computation where basically under certain situations you could pay. Um, Let's see, where was that? Yeah, that was in Numbers 35. Um, that like if you killed an ox, you you could pay for that instead of having to have your ox. Right. There would be certain situations where it would allow, but God, this was one particular situation in Numbers thirty-five, where God tells them, "Do not do that. Do not accept money." Um, let's see, where's that? Oh, there we go. Uh, Numbers thirty-five, thirty-one. Um, Moreover, you shall take no ransom for the life of a murderer who is guilty of death, but he shall surely be put to death. And you shall take no ransom for him who has fled to his city of refuge, that he may return to dwell in the land before the death of the high priest. And then, yeah. God was taking this seriously. So the elders discussed the situation with the man. And apparently they have to... They have some judgment in this. That they're like, okay, like, we think you have a case. You can come in. Okay, we don't think you have a case. You need to stay out. So then what was the next step? So they're talking. Oh, it's um, Brad, sorry. I don't know if this is, this may not fit into uh, your, your structure here, but um, it seems to me, too, that, like, if I were out chopping wood with my friend, um, or my coworker, and I killed him, I'd probably want to go tell his family and not just hightail it to the city of refuge. Now, when I got there, I might yell in the door, I killed your son, and then go, and then run. But, I mean, I don't know what that looks like. Like, what... And, and so then the other thing is, um, like, this is also their version of... Um, innocent until proven guilty like uh, he's fleeing to this place because there's going to be some adjudication or a trial there that it's going to take place and he'll have the opportunity to 
for that to be determined. And you don't get that sense in the little town that he lives in or whatever. You know, like this is this is their city where the courthouse is, kind of. Well, I would be interested too, just knowing how do you, how do you know who the Avenger of Blood is? Well, maybe if, if this is your brother, would you be the Avenger of Blood, or would that be even a possibility? Right, and as we think to the story of Ruth and Boaz, as they're looking for the person that would redeem it, they kind of look at the nearest kin. So maybe it's a similar process here that it's like, okay, who is the nearest kin? Are you going to take this on this responsibility? Okay, you're not. Someone in the family would have been like, you know what, I'm going to take this on. Um, because God's obviously saying, look, this is going to be a situation that could happen. Um, but I don't know that the Bible tells us, but if you look at other similar stories, it started with the nearest kin, and then they, they kind of went down the line. But yeah, but then how do you decide that, right? <laughs> you're kind of at the funeral... And you're like, okay, who's going to chase the guy? Kind let's, of a thing. Let's like, draw lots. To see who <laughs> let's cast lots. Let God decide. Chase Mike down and, and right. A lot of this was going to be a judgment call, and God saying, "This is within the rights. This is within the rules. This is how you should do it." And I, I would think the elder, he's telling the elders that at the gate, like, "Hey, if a guy shows up, look like he wants to kill somebody, <laughs> and he might be looking for me." So please do not let him in room 304, right? Yeah, right. They have to have some sort of process for this because, I mean, how frequently is this going to be happening? Right. And that's, that's the interesting part. The Bible doesn't tell us how frequently this was used. Um, I guess we're told in the story of, what was it, Elijah or Elisha? The guy's chopping wood and the axe handle flies off and Elijah finds it for him. Elijah or Elisha finds it for him. There's a case where an axe head went flying, but it didn't hit anybody. So it's kind of interesting. Um, I I also kind of wonder if... The the map of how far apart everything is, got to remember it's like southern Indiana, and then you've got just your little city of refuge and the cities around it. And you're going to know... You know, this is Joe, he's Bob's son, and Bob is the guy the camel ran off on him, and, you know, him. Okay, so that family and, you know, the whole, there's going to be, like, um, interweaving, and people are going to know each other. It's not going to be exactly like a total stranger running up to the gates of Indianapolis and going, excuse me, I accidentally killed somebody, and... I need refuge here. And like, <laughs> right, potentially. And remember, who is also in charge of this city? Which Levites. tribe? Levites. So the Levites are really the people that are going to be predominantly in this city. Except for these people that are looking to hide. So the manslayer kills somebody. He runs. He gets to the city. He talks to the elders. The elders let him in. What's kind of the next thing that God says could happen? Yeah, the Avenger shows up, knocking at the door, like, have you seen this person with the flyer? (laughs) They got his nose right. Yeah, yeah. So the Avenger is seeking the Manslayer. It's kind of interesting. 
What did the elders, God specifically tells the elders, let's see, is that verse 5? Um, they shall not deliver the slayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unintentionally but did not hate him beforehand. In determining, well, we'll get to that in a second. There's also there's also a pretty uh, high incentive not to lie about this because if you lie, you can also be put to death. You bear false witness to the elders at the gate, then if somebody shows up and and everybody contradicts your story, then that that's worthy of death anyway. So you you're gonna want to tell the truth on this. And it's interesting that God mentions that because what does God also require for a trial? Two to three witnesses. Um, in the case of a death, God also says you shall not let something stand when you only hear from one witness. It, it's just kind of interesting. God seriously cares about how you give witness, but God also wants two people, two or three people, to give witness of that. So, the Avengers kind of knocking at the city. He's, he's like, give me the guy. And the others are like, we can't. So what kind of, what's the next step? Will they protect the uh, uh, fellow who killed? Yes, so they protect the guy. They also, I mean, they also give him a place to live. I, I don't think it's like, oh, here's, you know, here's a place for you to live, and here's all of your food. It's like they make a place for him to live there. It's not like they say, oh, well, you don't have room in the city. You have to sit outside the city where you could be vulnerable. But he has to be welcomed into the city and make part of it. Yes. So he's, he's welcomed into the city. And how long does he have to stay in the city? Until the high priest dies, or he stands before the congregation for judgment. Okay. Yes. So. so safety until trial or death of high priest. So is it? Is it or, or is it and? That's a good question. In what way might it be an or? If you were convicted at your child? If you were convicted by the time the Avenger arrives, multiple witnesses arrive, you stand before the congregation in judgment and they say, you know what, we believe it to be intentional. You would no longer have safety in the city. So in that, yeah, that's a very good question. In that sense, it's an or. It's not until they say, you know what, that was an accident. No. God says, if it's an accident, you can only, you have to stay in the city until the death of the high priest. So you get safety until then. But if it was intentional, you have safety until your trial. Again, God takes this seriously. Um, this would be, even you're standing before the congregation. Maybe you're even standing before kind of what we might call a jury, jury of your peers. 
You're standing before the people in the city and they are making a call. And so as they think about making this call for judgment, again, multiple witnesses were required. So somehow this avenger, if he feels this was purposeful, has to come up with two or three witnesses, which might not have been easy if you were just cutting in the woods with your buddy. Um, Because I'm thinking that if you're going to try this case, it's all going to be about intent and motivation. And the manslayer can say, yes, I killed George. The axe had flew off, it hit him, I killed him, but I didn't mean to. And then the Avenger uh, uh, blood comes up and says, well, two days before this incident, you were talking to Fred. And here's Fred's testimony. And then here's Barbara's testimony. And, you know, here's the long history of uh, hatred between the two of you. And so we don't believe you. And so it's all about the motivation as opposed to the deed in, in like a... Just the two of them in the middle of the woods chopping wood. Yeah, and you kind of see that in verse 5. Because it says, Then if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not deliver the slayer into his hand, because he struck his neighbor unintentionally and did not hate him beforehand. So there was going to be a process of which they were going to work through. What was your relationship to this? And they asked similar questions in today's court system, right? What is your relationship to this person? How well did you know him? Kind of etc. Like, how is the... How good is your testimony? Um, it's kind of interesting. In, let's see, I think it's Numbers 35. He goes through a long process of determining. Um, yeah, Numbers 35, 16 through 21. He goes through and describes certain tools you might use to kill someone um, that might give you an impression of whether or not it was intentional or not. Um, so again, this would be something that people would have to think through and treat seriously. God didn't just want them chopping off each other's heads because of accidents. But if it was purposeful, God says, you need to be judged. You're not going to get out by just paying a fine. Um, for example, in Numbers 35, 16, it talks about an iron implement. It talks about a stone. It talks about a wooden hand weapon. Um, if he pushes him or if he throws something at him. Yeah, also, yeah, why were you hiding behind the tree with, like, with an axe? Like, there's, there's some things there that give them the distinction. Again, God sees a distinction between intentional murder and accidental, unintentional killing. And so, yes, let's see, Deuteronomy 19, there we go, in verse 13, um, there it is. But if anyone hates his neighbor, as he's thinking about the intent of this process, Deuteronomy 19, 11, but if anyone hates his neighbor and lies in wait for him, rises up against him and strikes him mortally so that he dies, and he flees to one of these cities, then the elders of a city shall send and bring him from there and deliver him over to the hand of the avenger of blood that he may die. Your eye shall not pity him, 
but you shall put away the guilt of innocent blood from Israel, that it may go well with you. Anne. Well, we were um, you know, talking earlier about whether the um, people were bloodthirsty and revengeful, but here in verse 12 and in Numbers 35, I think it was verse 21, it's the duty of the avenger of blood to put this murder to death. That's his responsibility, God actually commands him to do that. So that was the that was the justice system that God set up set up for them. It wasn't not that there weren't people. There very well might have been people who felt revenge in their heart about it, and that's between them and God. But the actual action of killing the man who killed your near relative was your was commanded by God. That was your job. Again, and, yeah. Um, and it says here, so with the guilt of innocent blood, you know, is taken care of as purged, so, so that justice is brought for that crime. Right. Again, Genesis 9, 6. If man sheds blood, by man shall his blood be shed. God has said that almost since the beginning. Um, God really hates death and blood being shed. Um and it's kind of interesting at the end of Deuteronomy 19, he mentions that it may go well with you. This was going to be a self-governing thing. You did this so that it would go well with you, so that God would bless you, so that God would be with you, which in some ways it seems a little harsh, right? That, okay, someone did it accidentally. They had absolutely no intent. And God says, you know what? You still have the right to be killed. God treats it incredibly seriously. It's, it's, um, but he created life and he has the right to do that, right? As the creator, as the giver of life, he can, he can do that. So if the manslayer gets to the city and it was an accident and he is safe, his life would still be changed though, Right? Because he cannot leave that city if he is truly innocent until the death of the high priest, which may be in his lifetime and it may not be in his lifetime. But, you know what? God gave him a system of mercy in which his life could be spared. The social dynamic in one of the cities of refuge had to be just like totally weird because you've got all of you've got all these Levites and then you've got these people who have killed someone unintentionally, but still, you know, they've got that on them in one sense or another. And you know, it's like so are you a Levite or did you kill somebody? That, I mean, that, like the, the conversation, the icebreaker, that, that party, I guess. I, I don't know. There are people known for having, like, axe heads that break and, like, things that go awry. I don't know if I would want to live close to them. Or don't be in the woods when they're chopping. <laughs> keep the, like the fire truck, keep 500 feet back or something like that. And it's kind of interesting. Why the high priest's death? Any thoughts? I feel like there was, it 
may have been in the numbers class where we were talking about this. And it was that someone, someone had to die for this death. It was unintentional, all of that, but someone had to die. There had to be a, a blood price paid, and it was the high priest who did it, whose death took care of it. And, oh, think of all the echoes into the New Testament, see Hebrews, etc. Um, but I don't remember who said all the brilliant things in that class. It wasn't me on this one, but it was very cool, because I remember it. Yeah, it's kind of interesting how God just throws that in there. Uh, throws that in there. It's just kind of a little detail given. Oh, by the way, he can leave if the high priest who's anointed with the holy oil dies. He can leave. And you're not really told why, but you definitely living on this side of the cross can see the picture God's trying to give them. Uh, that there would be one who could come and whose life could redeem. Yeah. Didn't we mention that the Avenger could just like hang outside the city just in case he did try to sneak out and go home or whatever too? Yes. Um, um, so I mean, even then, like the Avenger's life potentially can change, leading into a trial or waiting after the trial. Yes, and that's in uh, Numbers thirty-five twenty-five through twenty-eight. But if the manslayer at any time goes outside the limits of the city of refuge where he is fed fled and the avenger of blood finds him outside the city limits, the avenger of blood may kill the manslaughter, manslayer and he is not guilty of blood because the manslayer should have remained in the city of refuge until the death of the high priest. So, so it's on detention. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, house arrest and you got someone outside just waiting for you. Right. But this whole process started when someone's life was taken and that family that lost the life had their life changed because of the death of a loved one. The impacts of a death, I think, is pretty clear here for God. And it's kind of interesting. Who does God say this is for? Who does God say the city of refuge is for? Verse 9. Are you going to say something, boy? I'll go ahead and get an answer to that. It's for the both the Israelites and the stranger who sojourns in the land. So it's the native born and the who can take advantage of this. Yeah. This is for anyone. Does that again give echoes into the other side of the cross? And this is one of the verses where you see God's not just about having the Israelites as his own people and being closed-minded and kind of, these are my people and no one else. God's doing things all along the line that give those outside of Israel the opportunity to find blessings in him. Boyd? Uh, It was interesting to me. You said we never have a case where this was, uh, where we see this carried out. and they must not always have practiced it because Absalom, would have, uh, he fled to a foreign city. But he never would have been invited back home if this was being carried out. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? That <laughs> I mean, this was where people take the opportunity, but they also had the opportunity to not trust the system, to not trust God. 
and go their own way. And at that point, God's like, your life's in your own hands. Um, and again, just the detail and the nuances of some of this stuff that Joshua doesn't tell us, that Numbers and Deuteronomy tell us, that God's like, look, this is a process that it is beneficial to everybody when this is carried out and when this is thought through. Um, but you see both the justice and the mercy of God in that. And then once the high priest di- dies, the manslayer can return home. And Im- imagine being able to do that. You've accidentally killed someone. You've been in the city of refuge for who knows how long. You finally get to go home. You finally get to see your family. Imagine the relief you would feel. You're just like, oh. like you aren't having to worry about the guy sitting outside the gate. Like, I mean, like I, this city's getting tiresome. I want to go for a run, and you're kind of like, look at like, you can now go out. You can go about, and you don't have to have any fear. Because if that were to happen, what would God's law then state? Intentional murder. It'd be intentional murder on the purpose of the avenger. That this is no longer a time where the avenger can say, hey, he killed my relative unintentionally. God's like, no, once the high priest dies, it's done. It's clear. There's no charge that can be brought. Winham in his commentary, Atonement for manslaughter came through the death of the high priest. This is shown by the ban on ransoming murderers and manslaughterers. Just as a murderer cannot buy his life for money, verse 31 of Numbers or Numbers 35, so a manslaughter cannot purchase freedom. Both have caused the death of another man, and only the death of a man can atone for the killing. Again, just echoes of Genesis 9, verse 6. And so it goes through in 7 and 8, it goes through the purpose of these cities, um, or these six cities that they selected. And again, these were part of the 48 cities that the Levites received. So the Levites received 42 cities plus these six for the city of refuge. And again, they're spread out. Let's see, I believe it was Kadesh, Golan, Ramoth, Gilead, Bezer, Hebron, and Shechem. So as you can see, again, they're kind of spread out so that if you were at any point in Israel, you would have a place close to you to run. God's always looking out for his people down the line. He's like, I realize you may get big enough that six is not enough. Add more. Because this is vitally important for the justice of everyone involved. And it's kind of interesting. 
about 40 times as you get to the Psalms, it mentions Jesus as being a refuge. Um, it's, it's just kind of interesting. Uh, Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Uh, Psalm 62.7, in God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Psalm 64.10, the righteous shall be glad in the Lord and trust in him and all the upright in heart. I must have written the wrong verse on that. Sorry about that. It may be the trust in him is the same word as for refuge. I think that's just what it is. Um, but again, it talks about God being a refuge. And we see that. Uh, Hebrews 6 and verse 18. That by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that is set before us. Again, it's kind of interesting. God anointed cities a refuge, and then we see echoes of this refuge in Jesus. And it's kind of interesting as you look through the similarities between the cities. Well, let's, let's open it up. And what are some similarities you see between Jesus and these cities of refuge? Sarah? There you go. Israelites and foreigners. This be available for anyone. Where you go? I was thinking that he accepts what we would consider the worst. And he's allowing homicide, homicidal people to yeah. come with him. So he's willing to accept all in yeah. that way also. Yes. Jesus knows the heart. So when we go there with wrong motives, God knows our motives whether we can stay in Christ or not. Yeah. Yeah, God knows the thoughts and intents of the heart. God's word's powerful. It's just kind of interesting how many echoes you see in that. Uh, they're in easy reach. God is always there, waiting. Um, it's open to all. We've mentioned some of these. It's a place one can live. You don't just have to there's safety in living there. Um, he's the only alternate. This is the only solution. That's what I say. And there's danger in not living there and leaving. So. Yes, and then maybe the biggest one. With both Jesus and the city of refuge, the death of the high priest gives you freedom. It's really interesting how God just mixes these, these stories into the Old Testament. Um, I don't know that Israel got these pictures. I don't know how they could have gotten a lot of these pictures. To them, it's just, well, I get to go free when the high priest dies. But how much more has God planned for them through these high priests? Um, were you going to say something? Was that a oh, I was just thinking, you know, it's hard for me to, to think that um, before God... Uh, I would ever be considered like an unintentional offender. Um, but even Jesus said of those who are crucifying him, forgive them for they know not what they do. It, in a way it was intentional, but they didn't really know what they were doing. Jesus realized that and um, and even forgive, even extended forgiveness 
to the ones that were crucifying him as he was providing the atoning death. So, um, yeah, it just shows you how, how gracious and merciful God is. Yeah. Yeah. And that was one of the, the author made the distinction of this commentary. He mentioned one distinction between the cities of refuge and the refuge in Jesus. So the city of refuge is really only a benefit if you're innocent. But like you were mentioning, Jesus as a city of refuge is the guilty can come to Jesus and find refuge, which is such a blessing. Um, because ultimately, like we all have sinned, and sin is knowing what you're doing and doing it anyways. Um, and thanks be to God for his mercy and his grace for the times of that. And just this concept of blood defiling the land. Um, Winham in his commentary writes, it is paradoxical that the, in the right place, blood is the most effective purifier the only means of atonement between God and man, but in the wrong context, it has precisely the opposite effect. The blood pollutes the land. And no atonement can be made for the land. God is certainly good to his people. And he's been good to Israel. Through the book, he's called them to have faith in him we see that from the very beginning as God has promised them the land this is at the end of their conquest they have conquered the land they have the opportunity to take part in God's blessings and they're going to have a choice moving forward because in the next few chapters in chapter 21 God's going to assign the rest of the cities to the Levites Um, in chapter 22 the eastern tribes go back home because they've had to come to the west side to help their brothers fight and then 23 and 24, Joshua's hit the end of his life, so he's dying, and similar to Moses, he talks to the people and reminds them of how God has carried them, how God has protected them, how God has, what God has done for them. Um, and then we see Joshua calling the people to serve God. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, Joshua says, and he calls the people to serve God. Any other thoughts or comments on Joshua 20. I've appreciated this study tonight just because it reminds me that sin is a really big deal. So, you know, like even the person who killed the man accidentally, he doesn't just get to go home scot-free. He still has to serve out a sentence in exile. And when God forgives our sins today, it's not because he just like waves a magic wand and forgets about it. Like there is still a price that has been paid. It was Jesus. So just maybe that reminder. Yeah, the... And it's a balance. There is a seriousness to sin that can't be underestimated. But there's a price that blood can pay that can never be overestimated. Um, I think it's interesting, too. Uh, uh, Abel's blood was crying out to God when Cain killed him. Uh, uh, Brother Rover Stevens, he's, uh, he's dead now, but he used to preach uh, on on these passages and apply it to the abortion that's going on in our country right now. He, he just pointed out that God 
finally gets his fill and he, he brings judgment on, on lands where blood, innocent blood is shed. Yeah. Again, this is something God treats very, very seriously. This, this is another uh, point for capital punishment also. Right. It's a deterrent. It's meant to be a deterrent when it's done correctly and with the right attitudes. Um, but thanks be to God that we can be here, that we can see stories of people like this, where we can see his heart and his character in stories where, thankfully, we didn't live in that time frame. Um, there's certainly some blessings to live living on this side of the cross, which thankfully they too get to experience, but they did not get to experience it in our lifetimes. We, however, get to experience it in our lifetimes. We'll continue in Joshua on Sunday. Thank you for your comments.